ಜನ್ that there is god and you must have devotion to god if you ha- if a person has worldly desires and devotion to god by the grace of god the desires will be fulfilled in this life or next but if the person does not have worldly desires and the person just wants god loves god then he will attain to god how he gives uh, he says that at the point of death such a one will Uh, remain merged in the thought of god in prayer in meditation uh, absorbed in in meditation on god and after death will attain to god what does attain to god mean it means ishwar or saguna brahman there is a loka a plane of existence in which such devoted souls those who love god they go to that plane of existence and their experience thereafter is the magnificent and loving presence of god which is what is called heaven in these religions so to put it simply if you are if you believe in god if you are devoted to god you will go to heaven and then sri krishna also pointed out the way to do that to think of to be absorbed in god at the point of death physical death is to be to be godly is to be devout throughout one's life otherwise it's not possible at the point of death you know i can, I can Uh, I go around doing whatever I like throughout my life and I just know that Krishna has said at the point of death I have to remember God and then I'm through free no problem won't won't work it just won't work um so Krishna also makes that point in order to be absorbed in the thought of God at the point of death one must be devotional one must surrender one must hold on to God and want nothing in the world except uh, and only want only God and so in this way try at least throughout one's life be engaged in this and this is also kind of moksha because such a person who goes to heaven so t- we must use the technical word here that is brahmaloka because there are many heavens in hinduism why only hinduism hinduism buddhism jainism they talk about many he- heavens those are lower heavens where you go and come back come back means again a reborn in this world uh in some form or the other but once one goes to brahma loka and without any desire there are cases where they can come back from brahma loka also but they had worldly desire so they they come back they come back as very powerful people in this world very successful and all so on but and to fulfill their desire once for all and then never be to be born again but in fact who is to say this about the great emperor akbar it says uh, he says that, that he was a yogi in his past life and had a desire to rule a great empire 
some kind of desire was there and was born as an emperor um, the the dream of the hermit's cave or hermit's hut often haunts the throne of kings and emperors some such saying is there um anyway so but the pe- people krishna is talking about in the eighth chapter are those who do not have worldly desires and have been deeply devoted to god all their lives they will not come back they will not be reborn again not being reborn again is uh, is the definition of moksha you are free from the cycle of birth and death so that is a, mo- a kind of moksha why am i saying kind of moksha it is moksha because you don't have to be reborn but again it is not full advaitic realization full blown realization aham brahmasmi i am brahman i am one with the divine that realization has not yet come and the idea is that in brahmaloka in the presence of god that that very devout that highly spiritual soul will attain to the final re- realization that i am brahman and be liberated from there there on they will not come back again this is called sequential liberation or krama mukti this is one kind of liberation talked about in the upanishads the upanishads always take care to mention this and i think this is good because even from the advaitic perspective this gives a foundation to conventional religion that faith in god devotion to god prayer service uh, spiritual life this will lead to heaven and freedom um and it's true vedanta supports it if you are listening carefully you will probably hear a, a but coming somewhere <laughs> but now krishna wants to say that this is not the only path to liberation and in fact this is not even the primary path to liberation this is not even the real vedantic teaching in fact shankaracharya in, uh, introduces the ninth chapter thinking that if people think um that and they have a doubt so this is the way to become spiritual you have faith in god be devoted worship god and after death you will go to you know vaikuntha uh, the abode of vishnu or devi loka the abode of uh, the divine mother durga or the pure land of of mahayana buddhism or the islamic heaven or christian heaven and so on so if that's and you go there that's eternally stay there that's religion well krishna wants to say no that's true and he has signed off on that he has given a stamp of approval yes that's true that's very good then shankaracharya comments the real direct path to uh, freedom to spiritual liberation is here in this life now and that krishna will point out in this chapter point out how we all know the standard advaitic teaching that you are brahman that the realization that i am brahman that has to be pointed out but remember there is another what do you call a wrinkle to it remember where we are in the gita the gita uh, three major sections of the gita broadly speaking the first six chapters were about self realization i am atman next six chapters where we are ninth chapters in the next six chapters it is about god it's not about i am brahman i am atman no it's about god and the last six chapters will talk about the that um, you know tatvamasi the identity of the individual and god but in this chapter if you are in this section if you are going to talk about the ultimate truth the advaitic truth existence consciousness bliss 
you have to take the God path, not the self-inquiry path. Well, you're talking about God here. So what Krishna will do here, um, he will say, this God you love, this God you believe in, um, this God uh, whom you want to attain after death, it's not just a God that uh, is to be loved, it's a God to be known. Uh, known in what sense? An identity. I am that. It's not just a God to be believed in. It's a God which is directly available for experience. And it's not just a God you will go to in heaven after death. No, you will find your oneness with that God here and now. So he will reveal the how, how will all this happen? How will a God which is based on faith will suddenly become a directly experienced God? How will a God which is post-mortem, after death, you go to heaven, how will that become in this life, available to us? How will a God which is so much different from us will be revealed in oneness with, each, with, with me? So to do that, Krishna says, there is a secret about God. He will tell us now. There is a secret about God, the higher secret, the royal secret, which I am going to reveal to you now. What is that secret about God? Well, what is God? The God that we worship in uh, Vedanta, pure consciousness with Maya, with the powers of Maya, uh, with omnip omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Uh, this is called Saguna Brahman, Brahman with attributes, Ishwara, Bhagavan. And this is what is worshipped in Hinduism as uh, Devi, Durga, as Kali, as Shiva, as Vishnu. They're all names and forms of the same reality, pure consciousness with the power of Maya. So, Ganesha, all of these are just, um, you know, names and forms imposed on the same reality. However, this is not the ultimate truth. This is where the theistic religions of the world stop. And he's going to say there's something deeper, something higher. And that secret I'm going to tell you. That's generally not known to the masses, not even taught. I'm going to tell you now, Arjuna. That's why it's the royal secret. And the, the secret is this, that there is a higher nature of God, a more fundamental nature of God. Saguna Brahman is not the end. Brahman with attributes is not the end. Then what's there? This infinitely powerful, beautiful, loving God. What could be higher? What could be greater? What could be greater is that one reality which appears to you as God. It is Nirguna Brahman. Existence, consciousness, bliss, unlimited being, unlimited awareness, and un unlimited fulfillment, ananda, satchidananda. Well, how is this different from God? Oh, huge differences are there. There are there's oneness, of course, but first of all, difference. Saguna Brahman and you are not the same. God and you are not the same. You are a sentient being, and God is God, the ruler of the universe. However, when you go to this deeper secret about God, Nirguna Brahman, you and uh, God become the same reality. Because you are also Nirguna Brahman. Not a part of Nirguna Brahman. Not different from Nirguna Brahman. You are Nirguna Brahman. In what sense? Well, you are Nirguna Brahman and Nirguna Brahman is you. Nirguna Brahman is not Shiva, Brahma, Vishnu, uh, God in heaven. No, no, no. The reality of Nirguna Brahman is you. And the, your reality is Nirguna Brahman. This secret, Tattvamasi, Tvam Tatasi, Aham Brahmasman, Brahman, I am Brahman, and Brahman is I. This secret, this knowledge, 
the knowledge by which you attend to this this uh, profound secret the greatest of all secrets this knowledge is also the king of knowledge rajavidya so the king of secrets what is the king of secrets tell me clearly straightforward nirguna brahman and um, how do you attain to this by the realization i am that aham brahmasmi you can't do that with saguna brahman that's blasphemy with the god with ishwara bhagavan who is in the temple in the church in, in heaven in mosque you cannot um, say that i am that that's blasphemy that is, the moment you accept that as god you become the individual little creature which you feel yourself to be however upon investigation what you find yourself to be pure consciousness upon investigation god is also that and there you are one reality so this is the royal knowledge royal secret royal knowledge this is what he is going to talk about now um, he is not deviating from the theme of god remember this is we are going to, um, one might doubt that are we not going back to the old aham uh, brahmasmi i am brahman the same old theme of what advaita vedanta uh, no he is talking about god and he continues to talk about god you will see throughout this chapter and he will bring in the familiar thing, uh, themes of uh, love and devotion all of that will come but still he points out that this there's something more to know about god and that's what he's going to talk about so krishna introduces this is a chapter without any question from arjuna krishna wants to introduce this why because otherwise what he has said in the eighth chapter might be taken as the final truth dualistic god devotion to god going to heaven after death he, now he's saying that that's not the final truth i would rather that you have enlightenment and freedom here and now in this life how is that you need to know a deeper secret about god here shri bhagavan uvacha idam tu te guhyatamam pravakshamy anusuyave gyanam vigyana sahitam yad gyatva moksha se shubhat so the blessed lord said to you who are not cavilling i shall teach this most secret knowledge in particular coupled with realization knowing which you will be freed from evil you will be freed from evil so idam he says this this means the special knowledge guhyatamam the most secret of all most secret is more secret than the highest secret in religion which is god secret in the sense the subtlest thing and pravakshami i shall tell now i've already told you this in the first six chapters but i'm going to tell you this through the root of god um anusuyave interesting the address to arjuna the one who is not um cavilling skeptical grumbling uh, cast not thy pearls before swine why not why not give it to everybody no this was this is the most precious knowledge of humanity this is the purpose of all life this is the purpose of all civilization this is the highest that anybody has ever gone or can ever think of going there's nothing beyond this and this is very subtle very delicate this is the this is why we are all here in, not only in this class in life in civilization whatever we are doing even good and bad things also all is driving towards this 
And when you say it out loud, clearly in words, this is, it comes to this knowledge. So it's most precious, not to be given to one and all. It's only those who uh, want to know and those who are qualified and those who will benefit from this knowledge. There are those who might cheapen the knowledge. There are those who might be uh, skeptical and dismiss this knowledge. So don't. That's why it, Vedanta in, as such is not a missionary religion. You know, uh, you can have a converting missionary religion, go around telling people, here is uh, my God or my particular interpretation of my religion. This is the best and you must come to this and all the others are false. This will alone, alone believe in this and God will protect you and all. All that you can do, you can't do that easily to uh, Vedanta or Advaita Vedanta especially. The Advaita Vedanta way was just the opposite, let alone advertising, let alone being pushy. They would rather retreat and hold back and withdraw. The student always had to approach. You know, the way I teach, what, what we are doing, if you hear some of the comments of the monks in the Himalayas, <laughs> one sadhu said in Hindi, I'll translate, he said, the Mahatmas today, the monks today, they put up these big banners. You know, there's going to be a Vedanta talk. Come in, come ye all, come in large numbers and attend the Vedanta talk. That itself they have objections to. And nowadays with websites and YouTube and advertisements and, um, you know, crash courses and charging hundreds of dollars and all. I mean, they cannot even think about such a thing. Why would you want to do this? It's, it, the idea was just the other way around. The student must come to the teacher. At no point anywhere uh, in the Upanishad does the teacher go to the students. The student, or at least the student must, must ask. Even in the Bhagavad Gita, notice the whole first chapter when Arjuna was grumbling, complaining, Krishna did not say anything. It's only in the second chapter when Arjuna says, I'm confused. You can remove my doubts. I don't know what is right, what's wrong. Please tell me. I am your disciple. Then only Krishna starts telling. And notice this dialogue is prompted throughout by Arjuna's questions. Um, and are we sincere in our uh, request? Are we, you know, the little amount of sincerity that we have uh, in our worldly quest? The amount of sincerity that we have to make money, to take care of the family, to achieve things in the world. With that sincerity, in fact, with less than that itself, we can realize God. People say it's very difficult to realize God. No. The amount of effort and energy and commitment we put for things in the world, with that much or less than that, one can become enlightened. It's not that difficult. It's just that, but we don't want it. We want it to come easily without effort on our part. That won't work. So those who are willing to uh, walk the talk, those who are willing to sacrifice, you know, throw their lives into it, that this is my goal in life. Whatever I'm going to do in life, that's fine. That's my externals. But my point in life is to become enlightened. I want to become a God-realized person in this day and life, in this life itself. Swami Shivananda Jain is one of his dialogues I'm re I was remembering we were reading. He says, don't say things like in this life or in the next life. Th those are mean calculations. 
throw yourself at the mercy of god and hold on to god and hold ask for nothing else don't set conditions on god in this life i have to become an enlightened get non dual knowledge i don't want that sequential liberation krama mukti i want immediate liberation in this life itself sadhya mukti sadhya mukti in sanskrit means direct liberation here in that no he says swami shivananda ji don't uh, set con- conditions on god just show your willingness by complete inner surrender to god that i want you and nothing more um so not cavilling anusuyave not a skeptic a skeptic is a person who may come to a spiritual class or a philosophy class already convinced that this is wrong what these guys are saying is nonsense hmm. made up your mind no give it a fair try that there is i really need it and there is some truth validity to this this is adhikari adhikari means who uh, deserves or who is capable of benefiting from these teachings negatively he said anusuyave one who does not have the disqualifications of uh, carping criticizing uh, uh, you know uh, uh, determined to be a skeptic so can't we ask questions one must ask questions in advaita vedanta look arjuna is full of questions and all the upanishads are full of questions those questions are that i don't get it yet help me to understand so what is it that you don't get i don't get this this and this please clarify these things those questions are welcome indeed they must be there but the question which is there for a fault finding so there the warning is there do not cast your so very harsh the bible actually is much harsher language than this that do not cast your pearls before swine uh anusuyave the person who does not cavil or carp or uh, criticize at every turn it makes the teacher's job almost impossible if you don't have any faith in the teachers it's something so subtle and it's about you yourself the teacher is trying his level best to point it out to you all our doubts the teacher can clearly see it this is the truth i can see the truth blazing forth in you in your eyes itself you don't see it somehow and therefore you must cooperate with the teacher even someone like ashtavakra the highest teaching of advaita vedanta on one point you can see he throws up his arms and he says shraddhasvata at shraddhasva my child have faith in my word suppose you don't understand all the logic you don't not doing the meditation your mind doesn't settle down you don't get it at all what we are talking about you don't feel love for god none of that is working for you all right do one thing at least i plead with you just <coughs> take my words as the truth that you are brahman you believe so many things in the world just believe this for a while and see what happens see the immediate effect it has day to day upon your life your thoughts so that attitude is necessary um one of our great swamis swami bhaskareshwarananda ji was a disciple of swami shivananda he was in um he was the founder of our ashram in nagpur and uh, he was an enlightened being i never seen him long before my time but his classes were legendary his vedanta classes so i have got some scraps of notes which were taken by the students at that time i copied it literally by hand from a notebook of another student simple but powerful you know, insights into this is beginning a class on bhagavad gita starting bhagavad gita for a group of brahmacharis in the ashram 
And he says, when you approach this Gita, uh, keep, his words are, keep the prayojana vibrating within you. The prayojana is my necessity, my need. I am in need. I have questions. I am suffering. I'm desperate to make sense of this. Desperate to find some light in my life, something to hold on to, something that will take me Godward towards freedom and towards fulfillment. I have a need. He says, keep that need vibrating when you come to this text. When you hear the verses, think about it. I need this. Then he says, remember always who is speaking. It's not a professor. It's not a pundit. It's not a theoretician. Not a, you know, like a New York Times columnist or somebody. All those are fine. But this is God himself, the incarnation of God speaking to you. There's no scope of any doubt here. There's no doubt. There is no, and there is endless power manifested here. Be aware of whom you are listening to. So I was thinking, if one approaches a text like uh, with that kind of an attitude, this prayojana vibrating in me, and I'm approaching the incarnation of God, and this is the instruction I'm getting from God himself, well, this is the ideal teaching-learning situation. <laughs> so that's how he would teach. I mean, almost every other sentence uh, which that Swami Bhaskarishwanji, whatever little I've seen, they are different from uh, the traditional commentaries and explanations. And they carry a kind of Inner illumination and power. Then he says, Guhyatamam, the greatest of secrets. Why the greatest of secrets? Very interesting. This is all the time available to us, everywhere available to us. And in everything, with eyes open, it is available to us. With eyes closed, it is uh, available to us. And yet, with eyes closed, we see darkness. With eyes open, we see samsara, trouble and affliction, terror and temptation in the world. Where is Brahman? What is right here is not evident to us at all. This is the great secret. That's why it's a secret. Swami Vivekananda called it, here Sri Krishna calls it the greatest secret. Swami Vivekananda called it the open secret. It's openly available. Or a secret. Uh, a story I heard was um, a man in, in India traveling with cash in a train and they're always afraid of robbers and pickpockets and this man uh, thought how do I save the money and there was this suspicious looking character who was sitting in the, in the seat across to him and it's a long journey, two days journey and this man took out the money and counted it carefully, put it back in a pouch and this man, the other man across the uh, aisle, you know, was eyeing him carefully. And then he went to sleep. And this other man was a robber. So he silently slunk up to the sleeping passenger at night and uh, searched quickly where the money is. He couldn't find it. And the next night also he searched very quickly to find where the money is. He couldn't find it. He searched thoroughly. The man was sleeping right there and there was, the money was not to be found. The next day in the morning, when they reached their destination, the robber, the thief, asked the, this gentleman, Sir, I must admit, admit to you that I had all intention of robbing you of your money, and, um, but I couldn't find it. Could you, uh, but the, my curiosity is driving me wild. 
where did you hide the money and the gentleman just smiled and he went to the where the robber was lying down his bed you know and the bunk he lifted the pillow and under the robber's pillow the money was hidden so <laughs> so then the most obvious places and yet not obvious at all where you wouldn't look for it it's hidden right here in in plain view just that it's not an object it's you the one who's looking now so it is the greatest of secrets then jnana vigyana sahitam so what is this teaching in two steps i will tell you jnana and vigyana jnana means knowledge vigyana is literally translated here as now uh, coupled with realization right knowledge and realization so one meaning of this and most um, commentators take this meaning jnana means the knowledge you get from the teaching that is from the text and the teacher you read the book and you've got some understanding now and that's jnana if you have paid attention if you have thought it through some kind of clarity has come that is jnana you have got the teaching i know that there is an ultimate reality and it is not it is the very subject it is my own reality and it is pure being pure awareness limitless being and awareness and limitless fulfillment that's what it is all these things i have heard in the gita upanishads and it's not so difficult because all of these texts so many texts they're just telling me the one and same thing however at this point i can say and complain maybe although we are not allowed to complain krishna just said the non complaining arjuna so ami ranganathanand ji 13th president of our order i remember he would say that if you have become a sadhu a monk you have lost the right to complain you can't grum- grumble don't grumble um so but we may say that i uh, know what you said i know what the text say i get it in a certain way but it's not a living realization for me i still feel like the same old person and most importantly i still react to life like the same old person when people misbehave with me i feel upset i can't help it it's almost helpless when um, something goes wrong in my health or something goes wrong in the financial market i feel anxiety i feel um, fear uh, i can't help it even if i put all my knowledge which i have learned from this i am consciousness brahman no it doesn't seem to work and vedanta they say this is the thing why it doesn't work pratyaksha that is the direct experience cannot be overcome by paroksha gyana and indirect knowledge what seems to be directly to me seems i'll say within quotes i am this body this person in this vast and difficult world this is to be a direct uh, experience this is the experience of life itself and your theoretical knowledge from these books and lectures that i am the ever secure and ever safe brahman uh, absolute existence consciousness bliss that knowledge doesn't overcome this problem it it cannot it's not powerful enough to cut down the 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 terror and temptation of samsara not powerful enough to erase or soothe the anxieties felt in living in samsara so this is my question then krishna says there is one more stage and we are like we we i knew it there's something more it's called vigyana realization and shankaracharya like many of the classical commentators says anubhava yuktam knowledge with realization knowledge with realization anubhava literally means experience knowledge and experience knowledge from the teachings and the texts and experience what experience 
that experience which will destroy the, the apparent experience of samsara. Right now we are having experience of samsara. I am not reading about samsara anywhere. I am experiencing it literally every day. This experience can only be nullified, set aside, overpowered by another experience. And that must be a more powerful experience than this. And that experience is called Vijnana. So this is um, um, Shankaracharya's interpretation, many traditional interpreters. However, um, we can go one step further. Sri Ramakrishna uses Vijnana in a different sense. He says, the realization that Brahman exists, I am Brahman, that is knowledge. So when you do neti neti, not the body, not the mind, uh, I am the witness consciousness, all the problems are at the level of samsara, the external world, body and mind. And even anxiety, unhappiness, desire, these are emotions, these are part of the mind. I am the awareness which reveals these anxieties, emotions, desires. And the awareness has no anxieties, has no um, emotions like desires or turbulence. No. So I am free of all of this. Neti neti, and not this, not this. And I realize I am the witness consciousness. Chidananda rupaha shivoham shivoham. I am of the nature of pure awareness. I am of the nature of pure bliss. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. Sri Ramakrishna calls this jnana, knowledge. You have realized. Congratulations. But. There's one more thing. That which you left behind, I'm not this, not that, this entire world, this body, this mind, all this samsara, you left it behind. Take another look at it. You're safe from it now. It's fine. Take another look at it. Look at the world, look at the body, look at the thoughts. And you will realize that which you found yourself to be, that existence consciousness bliss, is also all of this. He gives examples. A man goes up the... Um, uh, the staircase he leaves the ground floor behind and the first floor behind and goes to the roof of the house. And then he sees that the roof of the house is made of bricks and mortar and concrete. And then he realizes what he left behind, the staircase and the rest of the house, is made of the same thing. It's the same reality. So one must first reach the roof. You can't, you know, if you say that, oh, then I don't need enlightenment. You just told me that this is exactly what I'm seeing now. This is Brahman. Uh, so, why put in the effort for God-realization, enlightenment, and realizing I am Brahman? Forget it. I won't do the neti-neti. No, it will not work. Because we are not seeing it now. We are seeing samsara now. But didn't you say this itself is Brahman? This itself is Brahman for the enlightened. Not for us. For we don't see it. It is Brahman, but we don't see it. Until we see it, it will not work for us. We are... So, Shankaracharya just uses a half a sentence. Jnana, jnana, yoho, papattehe. Everything becomes clear if you see the distinction between knowledge and ignorance. In the field of ignorance, this is samsara. I am this little person. I am suffering and I am bound to suffer. There is no other way out of it. It is in fact wisdom to see that suffering only is the end, end of all of this. This whole game which is going on. The only way out of it is spiritual struggle. Realize I am Brahman. Having realized that, then you look back upon the samsara. It's not that there is a terrible samsara and there is a beautiful Brahman, that there is a beautiful God and there is a horrible world. Not like that. It's not that in this body-mind, I am perfect, pure awareness and there is a horrible mind and even more horrible body. But 
The fact is that that pure awareness, that Atman, Brahman, is the mind, is the body, is this world also. This is, Sri Ramakrishna says, you will realize that. He puts it another way. There are some who have heard of milk and some who have seen milk. But there are some who have seen milk and touched it and they, have, uh, they, they drink the milk and they become nourished by the milk. Those who have drunk the milk and being nourished by it, they are the Vigyanis. They are the most full-blown realization and they live in this world with ease. They have no problem with eyes closed, with eyes open. They have no problem uh, working in a, a job and raising a family or administering a company or a kingdom or withdrawing to the mountaintops and uh, sitting quietly in a cave or, or in, a, um, in a hut. We, on the other hand, have endless problems in both ways. Make us a millionaire, give us charge of, you know, things are growing great in my life, I'll find ways to complain. And I'll find ways that it could be better. This is the, I still have these problems. Withdraw completely from the rigmarole, this whole paraphernalia of, of samsara and retreat to a mountaintop and sit quietly. Cannot sit quietly. You will find bubbling up from within all sorts of uh, emotions, desires, projects. Once I was very sick, as a young brahmachari, very sick in a hospital. So I was hospitalized for two months in, uh, and young man, so getting restless. And I was telling a visiting monk that when I get well, I'll go back to the ashram. I have these things to do, like uh, this class to teach and this, you know, uh, all sorts of big projects. And the monk said, I notice None of your projects are very simple. You didn't say, I'll just do a little bit of gardening and I'll sweep my room. And No, they're all grand stuff, you know. This is restlessness of the mind. When you're withdrawn from samsara, wonderful. One old Swami, he was very sick, dying almost. But he had been a very hard worker all his life. Big ashrams he had um, managed, set up and managed. And with joy, it seems he used to say, I've never seen it, but it seems he used to say with joy, with a sweet smile on his face. It is wonderful to be fashioned into an instrument for God and used for God's purpose, used and broken and set aside. And he says, it's wonderful. And so that is spiritual maturity. And, and that comes with vijnana. With uh, inside God, outside God, and this life also, with this body and mind, I will serve a divine purpose. There's no problem at all in life. No problem in life, no problem in death also. So this is Sri Ramakrishna, uh, the one who has been nourished by drinking the milk. I remember one sadhu, the person who has drunk the milk, who has seen the milk, but not yet, not, uh, no, sorry, sorry. The one who has read about milk, but has not yet seen milk, let alone drink the milk. That person is the one who has attended the classes and watched YouTube talks and read the books. There's a person who has read about milk. Now, such a person is easily confused. So one monk told a very funny story. Uh, this was in Haridwar. He said, a person who has just read about milk but has not seen milk is easily confused. Um, you know, somebody tells him, he has read that milk is white. And somebody tells him, uh, no, milk is white, but only milk from the white cows. The milk from the brown cows is brown and milk from the black cows is black. 
milk from the red cows is red. And this man thinks, that's actually logical, you know. Uh, maybe what I read was a very incomplete and partial teaching. And this seems much more logical. Well, if you have seen milk, you would not think that way at all. You would say, doesn't matter what your logic is. It sounds logical, but it's uh, but the fact is, I know what milk is and it's white. So, uh, it's... Um, and there's another funny story about this. Um, little children. Now, this kindergarten is also apparently very competitive. If you admit a little child into a kindergarten, there's an examination. And there's a teacher and the psycholog child psychologist and all. They'll ask with grim looks at the little kid. They'll ask them difficult questions. So, this little kid went for an interview. And the psychologist asked him, well, tell me, how is it that um, a brown cow eating green grass gives white milk? And the kid was, why ask me? I'm not a cow. Ask the cow. <laughs> I thought that was a really good answer to come back. I hope they admitted the kid. Um, Sri Ramakrishna says, Vijnana is where one has not only read about it, one has experienced firsthand, not only experienced it, is continuously available and that experience nourishes one's life. Uh, one is fulfilled, one leads, leads a saintly life internally and in, in the dealings with the world. Uh, this is the life of a Jivan Mukta. Incomplete realization is also possible, that one may catch a glimpse of it, but then one may still be struggling in the world, to some extent at least. So full-blown realization, vijnana, eyes closed and eyes open. And notice this vijnana also uh, sets the stage for doing good in the world. There can be a spiritual basis for schools and hospitals and helping humanity. You see the divinity in all beings, the same Brahman appearing in all these ways. And you respond appropriately in each case. All the time remaining internally very peaceful, very serene. One young man in India asked me, was giving a talk on the problem of evil, that why is there suffering? Um, there are many theories. And that young man was upset, a college student. He said, oh, but all these theories. Yesterday I saw a little dog which was hurt in a traffic accident. And, I, and I, my heart broke for the suffering of that little, little creature. And I wept. Tears came to my eyes. I hope is talking to me and other monks. After all your fancy theories that, you know, one must do something. Um, so I said to him, look, why is there so much suffering in the world? Our response, the Ramakrishna mission's response as monks, our response is immediately to go to the, to the side of the suffering person and help, uh, you know, in floods, in famines, in uh, fires. Um, education for the uh, uneducated, medicine for the sick, uh, and for those who are spiritual seekers, a spiritual teaching for them, all of it is service. This is our response to the question, why is there so much suffering? Not a theoretical response. It's an immediate, direct response of trying to be helpful, trying to reduce the suffering of people. So that's the answer. If you have tears and unhappiness and misery, notice you did not do anything. You think, what can I do there's so much suffering in the world. That's no good to anybody. I'm glad to know you are very sensitive, 
but uh, that is kind of a uh, you know uh, a kind of being too much involved in one's own emotions look how much i weep for humanity nobody cares but if you could do a little bit for somebody then that's good and beyond that is the question of how can it be completely and totally overcome and there there comes the answer spirituality that was buddha's quest there is suffering is there at all any solution for suffering he says yes there is there is a deep lasting solution and there is a method for that the four noble truths there is suffering suffering has a cause desire is there any escape from suffering yes nirvana is there any way to do that a method yes there is a method the ashtanga marga eightfold noble eightfold path so on but every religious path spiritual path takes that you know there is a problem the suffering of the world there is a reason for it some call it desire some will call it sin vedanta says ignorance and there is an escape from it there is a freedom from suffering call it salvation moksha whatever you call it and there is a way to do it you can do it through to devotion like sri krishna said in the 8th chapter but now he's saying in the 9th chapter you can do it through he will tell us now the royal knowledge you can do it through knowledge what knowledge the royal knowledge what will you what will happen yad gyatva realizing which i'm still on the first verse realizing which realizing which means not um, reading about it not um, uh, practicing some kind of devotion or some kind of um, ritual no this is knowledge which has to be realized within as i am that then what happens moksha se ashubhat you will be free from this samsara ashubha means the inauspicious from samsara when now right away by what kind of lifelong devotion no 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 knowledge now now this is a further deepening of the idea of god presented in the 8th chapter and in the 9th chapter he is saying this continuing with the theme so the result of it is moksha notice what was the result in the uh, earlier chapter after death you will go to heaven and that's also complicated route there a lot of traffic jams and uh, you know the complex uh, there will be people who will come and guide you um, you remember this step and the next step multiple spiritual guides will take you to different levels so many things will happen and then at the end you end up in the presence of god which is great but you still are not getting that knowledge um, then you have to attend classes with god and god is going to teach you gita and upanishads and vedanta sara and do a much better job of it than i can do and then you're guaranteed to get enlightenment but here krishna says here you will get knowledge enlightenment here and freedom here carrying on rajavidya rajaguiham pavitram idam uttamam pratyakshavagamam dharmyam susukham kartum abhyayam this is royal knowledge the royal secret supremely holy directly experienced righteous easy to practice and imperishable rajavidya the king of all knowledge the greatest of all knowledge in the mundaka upanishad the first mantra of the mundaka upanishad which we have not done i plan to do it after the katha upanishad in the wednesday class 
the Mundaka Upanishad, the first mantra is beautiful, glorious. It goes like this. Brahma Devanam Pratamasambhuva Vishwasya Katta Bhuvanasya Gopta Sabrahma Vidyam Sarva Vidya Pratishtham Atharvaya Jeshta Putraya Praha. So it's a mantra which says Brahma, not Brahman, but Brahma created this world, who protects the world, and gave Brahma Vidya, the knowledge of Brahman. Um, to his firstborn, the first Rishi actually. And this is Brahma Vidya Sarva Vidya Pratishtam. Brahma Vidya, the knowledge of Brahman, the spiritual science, is the foundation of all knowledge. In different ways. How is it the, Pratish, the foundation of all knowledge? Well, all our efforts at knowledge, sacred and secular, are finally taking us to this Brahma Vidya. They're all meant for that ultimately. In another way, what is Brahma Vidya about? The knowledge of Brahman, what is it about? About Pure consciousness about our nature as awareness itself. This awareness makes all, all knowledge possible. So, is Brahma Vidya is the knowledge about that which is the foundation for all knowledge, which is consciousness itself. Here he's saying it is Raja Vidya, it's a royal, secret, a royal knowledge. I mentioned on other occasions Heidegger's take on this. He says this question about existence itself what is existence? What is being? He says it is the widest question, deepest question, most fundamental question. Why it is widest, deepest, most fundamental? I'm not going to repeat here. But that goes to this, you know, it's a royal knowledge. This knowledge about existence itself, Brahman itself. Why does anything at all exist in this universe? So, greatest of all knowledge. And secret, Rajagvihyam, the royal secret. And I mentioned why it's a royal secret. Most obvious in one sense. And yet completely hidden. So it seems so difficult for us to find. Because it's so subtle. Pavitram idam uttamam. This is the most purifying of all things. Um, if, I, um, if I become dirty, I can take a shower and clean myself. The clothes are dirty, I can put them in the washing machine. Uh, in my heart, if there's dirt, in my thoughts, if there's dirt, uh, I, mean, I can clean it through prayer and repentance. Uh, change my thought habits. In my behavior, if there is something wrong or objectionable, I can through practice change it. In our behavior, speech, dirt in speech can also be removed through practice and awareness. So at the level of the body, at the level of the speech, at the level of the mind, dirt can be removed. Impurities can be removed. Through practice, it can be removed. But this is the greatest purifier. This knowledge, it removes our ignorance of our real nature that I am Brahman. And once that is done, all other impurities are burnt up straight away. Are burnt up all, all impurities of thought, of speech, of body, of past sins, past bad karma, everything is burnt up. Sri Ramakrishna says it's like a mountain, but a mountain of cotton. And you take, strike a single matchstick and throw it into that, it, it burns up in an inferno within seconds. Similarly, a mountain of our past sins, of all our, our miserable record through many lifetimes. It gets burnt up. Purified means all the evil, the impurities are burnt up in an instant by this knowledge. Pavitramidam. Also, it's the most pure because it introduces us to the most pure, our real nature, which is forever pure and untouched by anything in this world. So it is the most pure of all. In all these ways, it is the most pure knowledge which gives, which is most purifying. 
There's nothing close to it. So it must be really subtle, very difficult to understand, very abstract. It says pratyaksha. It is direct. It is easily available, directly available. When? All the time. Where? Everywhere. In what? In everything. And it's you. Pratyaksha. Pratyaksha literally means seeing, hearing, the sense perception. But here it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that Brahman can be seen, heard, or smelt, or tasted, or touched. Uh, but all that, uh, even more directly than sense organs. See, what you are seeing now is depending on your eyes. Even that's indirect. It depends on the functioning of your eyes. It depends on proper illumination. All that you are hearing now depends on your auditory equipment. Your, uh, the machine should function well. Your ears should be there functioning well. The brain centers should be healthy. Mind should be attentive. Then you hear. So many things required for even direct perception. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Now a thought. Thoughts. Just an idea. I am sitting here. It's an idea. Or I am thinking. It's an idea. A thought. That thought can't be seen. It can't be heard. It can't be tasted, smelled, touched, obviously. And yet you experience it. And you experience it more directly than seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. You experience it directly by consciousness illumining the, actually the reflected consciousness in the mind, illumining the movements of the mind. Thought comes in the mind, that's illumined by consciousness. Even more direct than the thought is consciousness itself. But we don't get it. We find it very difficult because it's not out there. It's not even in here. So it, he says, Pratyaksha. It's direct, most evident. It's not subtle in that sense at all. And then, Pratyakshavagam, it's easy, it's directly perceptible, or directly realizable. Dharmyam, it's religion. So there's a question, you know, in that context, when Krishna is saying all this, People thought Vedic religion was religion. You do fire sacrifices and you do charity and that's religion. What's all this? I am Brahman consciousness. What's all this? Is this religion at all? And Krishna says, this is religion. This is spirituality. All that you consider religion, all that you consider spirituality is meant to lead you to this point. The realization of your inner divinity and the divinity of everything and everybody. That is dharma. All your Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, all Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Zoroastrianism, and all the you know, native uh, uh, Aboriginal religions in Australia, in Pacific Islands, in America, here in India, wherever it is, they are ultimately all pointing to this. Religions which have disappeared, don't exist anymore. At the heart of everything was this, this, this royal secret. This is dharmiyam, this religion. And then, so it must be really tough. What do the Americans, the kids say? It must be a drag. Sounds like a drag. It must be really tough. Really boring. It will take a long time. And he says, susukam. It's easy, it's fun, and it's quick. It's easy, he says. And it's sukham. It's fun. In spiritual life, our um, Swami Smarnanji, who's the president of our order, 
I remember when your brahmacharis used to teach us Vedarnik Upanishad. And uh, he would always tell us this one thing, this one takeaway from him. Not only the end, but the means also must be joyful. You're looking for heaven, bliss, ananda, whatnot, fulfillment. Fine, good. But now, what you're doing, is it joyful? Is it fulfilling? It may be difficult. It may be hard. Probably is hard. But is it fulfilling? Is it joyful? The work that you're doing, the meditation that you're doing, the study that you're doing, the devotional practices that you're doing, the jnana yoga, bhakti yoga, karma yoga, dhyana, raja yoga, is it joyful? Is it fulfilling? It must be so. Something that to pay attention to. Do what, what, hold on to a discipline, but make sure you, you enjoy it. It's, it's supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be joyous. Religion is not meant for long faces. Swami Vivekananda, an American lady here in the United States, um, said to him, Swami, aren't you ever serious? He was always laughing, joking. Swami Vivekananda said, yes, ma'am. Yes, madam, I am. Only when I have a tummy ache. So when I have a tummy ache, I'm very serious. Otherwise, I'm not serious at all. Susukam, it is joyous. Once in Belurmat, Swami Turiyanandaji, the great disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, great Vedantin, he was in the next room and in the room next to that in the evening, there was a group of young monks who were talking and laughing loudly, joking. And it was evening, it's a time for meditation actually. After some time, Swami Turiyananda, this great Swami, the disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, great Vedantin, he stormed into the room and he said, you're monks, aren't you the least ashamed of yourself? What is this uproar, this... Uh, uh, you know, this laughter and joking. Have you realized God? What, what do you have to be so happy about? Are you enlightened? Why this lack of seriousness? What do you find so funny in life? And they all were ashamed, of course. They kept quiet. But one Swami, Swami Vijayananda, who established the Vedanta work in, the, in I think, Argentina, probably. Yes. He was there. He had the gift of repartee. And he was not overawed by great swamis. So he said, very humbly, Swami, we read the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. And Sri Ramakrishna says something. And then almost every other page, it's there within brackets, all laugh. And there are these young boys rolling on the floor with laughter. And you were there among them. We read about you going to Sri Ramakrishna and you are there. Then Sri, um, Swami Turiyananda burst out into a broad smile and he said, well, 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 all right. Ananda, be in bliss, be happy, be in bliss. You're right, be in bliss. I remember the first piece of advice given to me when almost the very day I became a monk, just one or two days after that, Swami Pavanandaji, he was nearly in his late 80s at that time, a disciple of Swami Shivananda. He was an Irishman <laughs> and he lived till just over 90. A wonderful Swami, extraordinary Swami. I think he was at the very least highly spiritually advanced. And I don't know who's enlightened or not. His word, I can still see. He was tall, he was looming over me, looking down at me, this newcomer. He said, Anundi Thakbe. He had a very sweet Bengali, Anundi Thakbe. Stay in bliss all your life. Be blissful, stay in bliss. So susukam, spiritual life, and especially this path, Krishna is going to say, this direct knowledge is going to be 
is, is blissful. By the way, when he says Pratyakshavagamam, this is, this is the core idea of the very popular direct path teachings which we find across the United States and the West nowadays and also in India. A number of teachers who say all these secondary indirect ways, they are all good, but I can, we can realize God here and now, we can realize our real nature right now. It's directly available to us. And they give some way or the other, try to point it out. They all have some way of trying to point it out. A number of very famous teachers. Krishna supports them here. Pratyakshavagamam. It's directly available to you right now. Well, like all easy things, easy come, easy go. So if it comes all that easily, it'll just go away next day. So I've had many of these spiritual so-called quote-unquote experiences. I'm still not really much better off. Something like that. He says, once you make that breakthrough, once you've got it, you've got it, it'll be effortlessly yours forever. You are that for, for all eternity. Unshakably yours. There's nothing more to be done after that. So what an advertisement. Raja Vidya, Raja Guhyam, the royal knowledge, the royal secret, the most purifying of everything. Pavitram idam uttamam. Pratyakshavagamam, directly available to you all the time. Dharmam, this is religion, this is spirituality, this is dharma. Susukam, very easy and fun and fast. Susukam kattum abhyayam. And eternal results are eternal forever. All right. Um, let me see. Questions. So, Dima says, is this right thinking? The knowledge I am Nirguna Brahman is only in the mind once liberated post final death of the jiva. Nirguna Brahman is the awareness that is not self-aware, that is more than of an impersonal law. The personal aspect is only by being embodied. I cannot shake up the thought. What is the fun of uh, finally losing self-awareness? Yes. The answer is yes and no. Remember, this is the fear of the mind. It's not becoming a void. It's rather becoming becoming the infinite. And remember, that Nirguna Brahman is the basis, we will come to that later, Krishna will say, it's the basis of the entire universe, all the bodies and all minds. You are just freed from the shackles of one mind and you become the basis for all minds. And no mind at all. No mind seems to be a terrible thing for the mind. Obviously, because there's no mind. But it's not so for the Atman. It's freedom from the Atman. It seems like an impersonal principle without any kind of self-awareness. Well, Kashmiri Shaivis would say that there is self-awareness actually. But it doesn't matter. Um, not a problem. Those who have attained to it, None of them say that it's a problem. I wish I hadn't attained. I've lost all self-awareness and it's all blank and it's a void. No, none of that. Alpana says, how does one make progress if all the questions have dropped because Krishna says so, because you say so. So many saints have said it. Uh, If all the questions have dropped, I don't know in what sense you mean this. All the questions have dropped in the sense that uh, everybody's saying it, you are saying it, Krishna says it, so I get it. I mean, or I understand, I believe it, I understand it, so there are no more questions, and how do I make progress? Is this the question? That is the question. 
Yes. Okay. That's the question Ralpana has asked. No, then questions will remain. I don't make progress. I'm not yet enlightened if I say. All right. You've heard it all. Now the question will be, I'm not yet enlightened. Where is it getting stuck? We'll have a more fine-grained question there. You start with Drik Drishya Viveka. And you, can you see clearly that this body is an object just like any other object? But even the sensations in the body, the pain and the pleasure, and the, they're objects also. They're also subtle objects. You're aware of it. And you stay with these for some time and see that they are things. Then the mind, most important of all, thoughts in the mind, even the problems in the mind, the negative things, the fears in the mind, they're also objects. They all are revealed by you. They cannot do anything to you. Then you go a little further, turning away from the mind into yourself. There are no words can help you. Then the question will arise, where is your problem? You just sit and think. So those questions are more what you might call inner circle questions. I know the information now and I get it and or I believe it. In some sense, I get it also. Now, where, now the question will be where lies the problem? And you take the problem step by step. And there are answers for each of them. Kabir Babu says, how is Vijnana defined by dualists? How is different from Advaita and Sri Ramakrishna? Um, Vijnana, if you take as Anubhava, that would be, the dualists would always see it as a vision of God or the presence of God in that sense. Always different from me, but I feel the presence of God. Not just read about it, not just pray to God, but I really feel a response from the other side. Girish says, problem of suffering and evil, can you say that Guna Brahman is indifferent to suffering because good and evil are both appearance in Brahman with no value judgments attached? No, not indifferent to suffering. When you have suffering, good and bad, you're already talking in terms of Ishwara, God. So that Nirguna Brahman is now God and is the world of suffering. And God will always try to help us out of that suffering, ultimately to go beyond that suffering. That forever beyond suffering reality is Nirguna Brahman. I know that doesn't make sense because Nirguna Brahman is right here. But the thing is, from the Nirguna Brahman perspective, there is no suffering at all. But when, when it does not mean the Nirguna Brahman, there is suffering and Nirguna Brahman is indifferent to suffering. No. If there is suffering, that means you are talking about the world, about you, this world, and then Nirguna Brahman is God to this, in, in this world. And God is helping us out of suffering. Material suffering, psychological suffering, spiritual suffering. And from the Nirguna Brahman perspective, when you see that, for you at least, suffering has ended. Das, um, who says this? You mentioned that royal secret is I am Brahman, 14th verse. Satyatam Kirtayantaman is 23rd verse. Patram Pushpam is Krishna saying these are offered to real self or to avatar or Saguna Brahman. All right, so the, we'll wait for that. When the 14th and third, 23rd verse and all of them come, they are very devotional, very theistic. That's why I said uh, this uh, royal secret and uh, uh, you know uh, the royal knowledge. It is Advaitic, but Advaitic uh, through the God track, not that I am Brahman track. So God, we are still talking about God. And the same God, which is Nirguna, is also Saguna. And we being Saguna, which is the God of religion, the God of love and devotion. And those things will come. And those things will come up. 
how can we use the four yogas to reveal the royal secret? Good question. Karma yoga will loosen the bonds of this selfishness. I am this little person. My concerns are most important. You notice when people grumble on and on about their suffering, notice how much self-involved they generally are. I have seen people with tremendous real suffering, not at all concerned. I have seen a monk who was paralyzed in both feet, one hand paralyzed and blind in both eyes. And I've never seen a person happier. You won't believe it, but I've seen it. And many other monks have seen it, a disciple of Pigyanarandaji. And he remained in that state for several years. Not one word of grumbling. I mean, he did grumble, I mean, in the sense of scolding everybody all around him, but all for the sake of others. He was a boisterous person. Uh, I mean, by seeing him, I realized what is meant by bodilessness. It's not coming out of your body like a puff of smoke. It's being here in this body, experiencing like everybody else, and it not mattering to you in the least. A shattered body. The spirit is free in that body. So, Karma Yoga will do that. Will make you selfless, not so indulgent about the self, not so obsessed about my little problems. Then Bhakti Yoga will channelize our real problems are emotional, not intellectual. Real problems, real suffering, real bondage is at the level of emotions. Intellectual problems can be clarified pretty easily. Listen to a few Vedanta classes, think it through. Very soon you will get it. Swami Vivekananda says, on the path of this direct knowledge, Advaita Vedanta, Vivekananda makes a pertinent remark. He says, in this path, many come to an understanding, few realize. (laughs) Um, So, Bhakti Yoga takes all these unresolved emotions, fear, desire, terror, um, temptation, anxiety, um, all of it, greed and lust and all of it, and channels it towards God. And then in doing so, all the emotions become purified. It becomes bhakti. Water from all the drains and all the dirty water, as they sweep into the Ganga, ultimately it's all Ganga water. All our emotions, unresolved issues and all, we pour it towards God, and soon it becomes purified. Bhakti Yoga does that. It's a great, great service. Then Raja Yoga, even more important. Purified emotions and thoughts are good, but at one time, thought must have a stop. It's not about thinking, not even about feeling. There's a, the spirit is even higher than that. So in the calmness, the stillness of the mind, spirituality is stillness of mind, is focus of mind. Distraction is world, samsara. Focus or concentration on our real nature or on God is spirituality. So Raja Yoga trains us into that. And finally, Jnana Yoga shows us the royal secret. Jnana Yoga itself is the royal secret. It, it, I mean, it tells us about the royal secret. What is going? What Krishna is going to do? What Krishna is going to teach us is basically Jnana Yoga. In the next class, he will reveal the royal secret. So all the four yogas, good question. It helps us. Jennifer says, is not knowing what all this is a step towards knowing in the ultimate sense? I don't know what this is, but yet I don't, but yet I don't know who I am yet. Would you like to clarify that, uh, Jennifer? 
You can't uh, unmute. Um, yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Um, so just the feeling of not knowing like uh, what this is or who I am, I can drop into that easily. <laughs> like what this experience is, I feel like it's more of the unknown state than the known, but yet I'm not um, uh, so seeped in everything that that's real either. It's kind of like this in between, maybe. I don't know if it's in between or. Okay. Yes. The knowing and this not knowing in between, mm -hmm. both are experiences. Mm -hmm. To you, that awareness. It's when the mind gets particularized in one kind of knowledge. I know this, or I'm trying to understand this. That's a kind of knowing. And when you relax the mind into a state of quietness, not particularizing in this or that, it's a kind of what I think what you mean by the unknowing. It's a higher state. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a quietness and inward, inwardization and a silencing of the mind. Mm -hmm. But that also is being experienced by you, the, the witness consciousness, by the pure consciousness. And that pure consciousness is what Krishna is pointing towards. Knowing and not knowing. Waking, dreaming and deep sleep. All are being uh, illumined by you, the awareness. That awareness is the nirguna. Mm. This is a certain question. All right. Let us end now. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Arpanamastu